Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Hedging Screens podcast. I hope everybody is doing well. I hope y'all are chilling. I hope y'all are living life. Uh, I guess you could say that I'm living life um, in my own non-crazy, just relaxed way. I did do something a little crazy over the weekend this past Friday. I went out and I got my very first tattoo. The very, very first permanent alteration of my body. And I have to say, man, this thing came out super clean. The short version of what I got is a skeleton playing the upright bass, uh, just really as a symbol for just how amazing and influential and impactful and timeless music and artists artists can be on people and how that pretty much lasts forever and ever if you guys want to see a picture of this it is on my instagram which is linked in the description below but man everybody was saying beforehand oh you know it's gonna hurt a little bit just be prepared for a little bit of pain you know you're gonna be sitting in the chair for however many hours i wound up being seated for probably about three hours. I got to the studio and met with the artist, my girl Katie, who does incredible work. She's tattooed a whole bunch of my friends, my girlfriend multiple times. She just, she's a fantastic artist, right? And we got to the studio at 6.30. Um, that was when the appointment was scheduled, but I don't think I got into the chair until probably about 7.15. You know, she had to get the space set up, make sure that everything was sanitized, have all the different types of needles ready and all that. And then we also just kind of went over the final design, like the spacing or the, not the spacing, the sizing, the placement, all that. It's on the back of my arm, the back of my right arm, like right in the center. And again, it came out super cleanly, but, but I will not say that it didn't hurt because it most certainly did. Um, on a scale of one to 10, with one being, um, I don't even know what one would be. One would be no pain at all, I guess, or that'd have to be zero. So on a zero to 10 scale, where zero is no pain, and 10 is watching Will Smith have to kill his dog in I Am Legend, that being the worst pain I've ever felt in my life, it was probably, it definitely started out as a four, and it got progressively worse and worse, probably up until... I'd say maybe like a seven, solid six, six and a half. I'm feeling a strong to decent seven or a strong six, decent seven, something like that. Because if you do decide to go and take a look at the picture, there was so much shading that had to be done on this little piece of art. This little piece has so much fucking detail in it. And neither of us expected it to take that long i guess it was my own fault because of what i asked for but again she delivered and i could not be more proud and happier with how it came out so it took about an hour or so to get all the line work done and then took a quick break i think the worst part about it was i was laying on my stomach i was laying flat in the chair and my arm was fully extended out i'm trying to show you guys even though there's no video for y'all to look at but it was extended out and like pressed up against the bench to keep it straight having never been in that position before just fucking sucked so hard it was trying to move my arm afterward it felt like it was going to be stuck straight forever clearly it wasn't and it was only temporary but as the night progressed and once I took that break, I went to the bathroom and she's like, all right, we're going to start the shading. We'll be done soon. And then whenever I thought soon was, it would be, all right, we're going to be done in a little bit. And then that was pretty much just the cycle of events. And it really didn't start to hurt until probably 45 minutes before it was finished. And I don't even know if it was like the actual act of the tattoo or if just like the fatigue had begun to set in because she had been, you know, stabbing my arm however many thousands of times for 
three hours beforehand and it was sore and it was puffy and it was inflamed. And I think it was just so tender at that point that just even touching it, like with your finger, because even now I'm four days, I'm four days out. It's in like the flaky phase. Anybody who's gotten tattoos know that there's like this cycle that you go through where it looks super clean for the first, for like really the first full day afterward. And then, you know, your body starts to heal and it doesn't, the work doesn't get any worse. It just begins to settle into the skin. So it's dry all the time. Um, it is starting to flake. I look like a fucking snake now with just these little bits of skin falling off. It's actually really fucking disgusting when you think about it, me leaving a trail of my skin everywhere I go. But we're not going to think about it like that. But, you know, just keeping up with the maintenance, nothing crazy. I'm not, you know, getting into fucking fights and having people scratch on my arms. Just, you know, keeping it clean, keeping it hydrated and really just letting it chill. I know I got probably another week or so to deal with this, but I would argue that the pain in the days after the tattoo rival what it's actually like sitting in the chair. And of course, that's not going to be everybody's experience. I don't necessarily know if, because beforehand, my mom and my girlfriend were always like, well, you don't have that high of a pain tolerance. And I'm like, that is, why, why do you have to fucking put me under the bus like that? That's just fucking rude. I mean, I may not have the highest pain tolerance, but I like to go back to that one time where I sprained my ankle and I wound up tearing four ligaments and I had to drive my ass home from the gym. And that was also some of the worst pain I had ever felt. And, and oh, another thing that happened was I was getting my wisdom teeth taken out. This was a couple of years ago. I'm sitting in the chair. And, you know, the surgeon gives me the anesthesia, I knock out, and I don't know how long it was, but I woke up mid-surgery. I, I woke up, and this fucking dude was extracting one of my teeth, and I had woken up, and I don't know if the anesthesia wore off, but holy shit, to fucking feel someone drilling in to your mouth and pulling your gums apart to bring out a tooth that is that has no business being in your fucking mouth in the first place that was once i had gone through that i don't know if any like tattoo pain can rival it but with that said of course everyone reacts differently the main thing that i noticed was it was definitely more of like a minor nuisance for again like 75% of it after you know if you are getting it like a a piece that's going to take more than three hours, I would definitely like do two sessions, maybe do like the line work on one session and then the shading. I don't know, uh, whenever the fuck the next session would be, however many days, weeks after or whatever. I think that would be the move because like the act of getting the tattoo doesn't hurt until you've already been laid up and just chilling for a while. But yeah, like it, and of course the placement of it also plays a part like on the back of your arm your tricep you know it's really all muscle it's a very meaty part of an individual even if you're like not a particular particular particularly big guy or you're even if you're like a petite woman like there's still a lot of meat on the back of your arm there really isn't much bone um the one part where it hurt the most was on like the inside of the tricep that's closer to the armpit that was very uncomfortable. And then also higher up, like the more upwards towards the, um, like the insertion, the muscle insertion where the shoulder meets the tricep, where there isn't really that much, at least on me, because I'm not really a fucking, I'm not juiced and swollen all that. But again, like it was really just a minor pain that was consistent. But I mean, Katie said I took it like a champ, especially for my first piece. And I said, thank you, because there was really like nothing I could have done. We did watch, I wound up watching um, two movies. That's how long I was in that fucking chair for. I watched, uh, they put Kong on because there was another person getting tattooed there. It was um, the 2017 one where they go to Skull Island. Fantastic movie from what I was able to see. Of course, being face down in the chair, I couldn't really 
see much. But um, after that, we watched The King of Staten Island with Pete Davidson. That was a very, um, that was a vibey movie. Really fun. Not much, um, not really like a super deep and like introspective movie. But, you know, a fun, I don't know if it's like semi-autobiographical, but um, fun movie that you could just like put on with your friends and you could have a good time just like chilling out had some witty dialogue i will say that i guess now i'm a movie review podcast but that was pretty much the highlight of my weekend you know nothing too crazy um as we know in terms of what's going on with the nba um the nets are now the villains i'm not kidding the brooklyn nets are the most hated team in the NBA. And it's not because they signed Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. It's not because they signed James Harden. It's because they signed LaMarcus Aldridge. You heard it here first. Well, you didn't hear it here first. But listen, man. I really just like don't give a fuck about any of this. And this is why. When you've been a Nets fan. For as long as I have, I've been literally, I have been through it all. The finals back in 2003, the early Brooke Lopez years, the season where they went 12 and 72 with fucking Yi, E, Jen Lian, Sean Williams, Nanad Kristich, Josh Boone. I've seen it all, bro. Seen all of it. Lived through the Billy King era when they formed a quote unquote super team that was Darren Williams a washed-up Paul Pierce, and a washed-up Kevin Garnett. I lived through it all. This is the best time ever to be a Nets fan, and it's not because they signed LaMarcus Aldridge. You would have thought that Blake Griffin and LaMarcus Aldridge were Hakeem Olajuwon and Ralph Sampson. It's just... It's crazy, man. And I just... I'm on Twitter... And I'm looking at it, and I'm watching it unfold. And I just don't understand why people feel the way they do about this. Because, let's get this out of the way. I don't know who needs to hear this. But Blake Griffin and LaMarcus Aldridge are not that good, bro. They're not that good anymore. Like, this is the craziest thing to me. If the Nets had went out and they signed Andre Drummond, then, you know, I would be a little bit more, um, I don't really know what the word would be if it's empathetic, sympathetic. I, w- I th- would definitely be more sympathetic towards the people who are fans of other teams and feel that the Nets are effectively trying to buy a championship, as Stephen A. Smith calls it, which is really fucking off base. And I don't understand how he... Came to that conclusion now. But even though Andre Drummond, I felt, would have benefited the team more than LaMarcus Aldridge. But when you just like look at it, right? LaMarcus Aldridge gets bought out from the Spurs because the Spurs are not, they're not going to give Aldridge the potential championship that he wants to close out his career with. This is nothing new. Older players get bought out all the time. Not even older players. Players in general who are in shitty situations don't want to be in those situations anymore. And they want to go either win a title. Well, I mean, really, typically they want to go and win a title. And we can't blame them because we as fans and as media members have created this problem where players are probably more pressured than ever to go out and win a title because when you talk to most basketball fans a player's legacy is not dictated by their individual accomplishments it's not dictated by their actual talent like going out and seeing them put up the numbers that they put up some of that plays into the conversation of course but most of the time And I've never really felt that championships should be the metric that we judge a player's greatness because a championship is a team thing. It's very circumstantial. You have to be good. 
you have to be a tightly knit unit and really you have to be very lucky as well to win a championship. Now, I'm not trying to downplay the importance of championships because I do think they play a role, especially if there is somebody like a Kobe Bryant or a Magic Johnson or a Michael Jordan or, you know, Steph, LeBron, KD, whomever, you know, that player who is responsible for bringing a championship home. But even then, they are not entirely responsible because especially since LeBron went to Miami in, when was it, 2010 or so? And also kind of before that, teams had stars. If you really look at any championship matchup, we look at, let's take the Bulls and the Supersonics back in the 90s. Bulls had, of course, Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. The Sonics, who'd they have? Gary Payton and, um, what's his name? Sean Kemp. In every championship series, the star players are going to cancel each other out because you know that Michael Jordan was going to put up numbers. Gary Payton was going to put up numbers. You know, whether they were going up against them or John Stockton and Carl Malone or Charles Barkley and the Phoenix Suns or even, you know, back when Jordan was getting his ass beat with the Pistons. Even though the Pistons were the better team, you knew that Isaiah Thomas and Michael Jordan were going to cancel each other out and it would come down to the role players. And for the most part, that's been the case. The only time it really hasn't was when Kevin Durant and Steph and all them were on the Warriors and going up against the Cavaliers where it was pretty much just LeBron. Like there were teams in the Eastern Conference that were probably better suited to go up against the Warriors, but it's just so hard to take down LeBron that they ultimately just fell short. But more times than not, it's going to be the role players that dictate the outcomes in a championship. Like we're talking guys like J.R. Smith, Robert Ory, like sixth, seventh, eighth, the eighth men, the sixth, seventh, and eighth people, men, mans, men's people, people's off the bench. Those are the guys that are ultimately going to dictate who wins the title. And generally, the team that has more depth and the stronger bench is going to be the favorite. That's why before this season went down, I was looking at the Lakers and I'm like, bro, they're going to be very tough to beat because this was, of course, before the Lakers, I'm not, before the Nets went out and got James Harden, it was KD, Kyrie, you know, Joe Harris, Karis LeVert, Jared Allen. I still felt that the Nets had not addressed a lot of their issues, right? Their depth at the center position or the front court position was not that great. That was, of course, because Nick Claxton was hurt. And there was no Blake Griffin, although I don't know how much he's really going to impact them. But looking at the Lakers, dude, a fully healthy Lakers team is so deep and has so much talent that it was almost, it was almost silly for you not to bet against them. We're just going to rattle off. We're just going to rattle off the roster when fully healthy. There is LeBron. James Harden, not James Harden. Fuck, I keep doing that. LeBron. Anthony Davis. LeBron. Anthony Davis. Montrez Harrell. Dennis Schroeder. So right off the bat, you have an MVP, one of the greatest players of all time, arguably the greatest player of all time. Anthony Davis, MVP candidate. MVP caliber player, I should say. Defensive player of the year as well. Dennis Schroeder, Montrez Harrell. Two Sixth men of the year candidates. Trez, of course, won it last season. But uh, I believe Dennis Schroeder finished either second or third. And then Kyle Kuzma. Say what you will about Kyle Kuzma. But he has the potential to be a very quality, you know, low-end starter. Possibly even a bench player in the right situation. And then Kentavious Caldwell-Pope. So between KCP and Kyle Kuzma, you have two excellent role players who really just space the floor for everybody else. And then you add in Markeith Morris and Wesley Matthews, and Marcus Gasol. And this team, all of a sudden, has eight or nine, maybe even ten guys who they can go to. And then we're even not talking about Taylor Horton Tucker, who has come out several times this season and looked pretty fucking good. The Nets did not have that. So now, 
They acquired James Harden. And make no mistake about it, they gave up a lot to make this trade work. To only get one player back. Of course, that player is probably going to win the MVP this season. I, he, he has my vote. Maybe I'm a little biased, but just looking at his numbers and what the Nets are doing, I'm not saying he's going to win it unanimously because, you know, Embiid still has to come back. Nikola Jokic is playing very well. Giannis has to get some love. It's going to be a tight MVP race. And really, as far as I'm concerned, you can give it to Harden, Giannis, or Jokic. Or I'll even throw Embiid in there too because he should be coming back relatively um, shortly. Any one of those four guys can get it, in my opinion, because they're all just so incredibly important to what their team is doing. I would lean towards Harden. Again, maybe it's because I'm biased. Um, I don't really care. I know that sounds a little rude of me, but, uh, you know, the Nets haven't had an MVP caliber player in my lifetime. I don't want to say that. Um, but it's been a long time since, you know, they've had somebody as talented as James Harden on the roster. And that's, you know, it really wasn't until they added KD and Kyrie that they were even, you know, having this type of super duper star player on the roster. So I'm not used to it. I kind of just want to enjoy, enjoy this moment because in two, three years, this might all be gone. And if that's the case, this might be the one time in my life that I get to watch a team like this. So I'm just going to try to enjoy the moment, but it would make everything much more enjoyable if this team were to win a championship. So the buyout market comes. And of course, you know, the Nets, they gave up a lot, a lot to get James Harden. They didn't have a lot of money to play, to play with. They're paying James Harden, Kyrie, and KD so much money. You know, throw in Joe Harris in there who got a new contract as well. Throw in DeAndre Jordan and this team and Spencer Dinwiddie as well. And this team has very minimal options to make, right? Really, their only choice, their only way to go about making the team better is the buyout market. And it's for minimum salaries. They also, I believe, had um, the disabled player exception because Spencer Dinwiddie um, had his knee injury. They had the mid-level exception as well. The point being, you're not going to sign any, you know, outstanding players in free agency just, just because of the fact that you don't have the money to play with. So they go out and they get Blake Griffin and LaMarcus Aldridge, both of whom do not want to be on their respective teams, right? Blake Griffin, older guy, career might be coming to an end at some point, you know, especially with all the injuries piling up recently. LaMarcus Aldridge, same deal. An older guy just wants to go out with a title. He wants to reach the pinnacle of his sport. And I don't want to sit here and sound like a crybaby because my team is getting all of this negative press. Quite frankly, the, the negative press about it, it doesn't bother me. I mean, does it, see, I want to say it, it doesn't bother me. I mean, it bothers me like a little bit, but I know that it's just basketball. And it's entertainment. It's not meant to be taken seriously because the Nets did not ruin the league by signing LaMarcus Aldridge and Blake Griffin. That is actually the one part of the argument that bothers me more than anything else. Because if you want to say they ruined the league, at least say that it was because they traded for James Harden. I'll give you that. Okay? The trade for James Harden was entirely unnecessary, but, you know, if the Nets really want to go out and win a title, I can understand why they did it. I'm happy they did it. I love the fact that James Harden is fucking crushing it in Brooklyn, but don't try to <laughs> stop acting like this is 2012 Blake Griffin and 2014 LaMarcus Aldridge, right? Where the two of them together are going out and averaging 35 points and 21 rebounds, because that is just mind-blowing, right? And I don't also don't understand. I don't understand why people are mad at the team for no. Hold on, I don't understand why people are mad at the team 
for actively trying to improve themselves, especially because it came out that LaMarcus Aldridge met with pretty much every contender. I got to try and find the tweet, actually. I forgot who tweeted. I think it was Woj. Good thing he doesn't really tweet that often. Otherwise, it would be very fucking difficult to find. But if I remember correctly, Marcus Aldridge met with the Nets, the Heat, the, uh, the Clippers, and the Lakers. Was it not Woj who tweeted that? Had to have been Shams. All right, let me... This is like the worst fucking game of hide-and-seek ever. Where are we at? Where are we at? All right. I'm still trying to... I'm still trying to figure it the fuck out. I th all right. Whatever. I remember seeing that he met with a handful of teams, all contenders, by the way, including the Miami Heat, which I felt when I did my uh, trade deadline special a couple days ago. I felt that Miami rightly should have been in the running or in the lead for LaMarcus Aldridge because you know what? He fits on their team better than he did really anywhere else because the Heat, very thin in the front court, especially because they traded away Kelly Olenek to get Victor Oladipo, and they just needed a little bit more offense. However, and I think the same thing goes with the Lakers, their recent skid, although the Lakers skid is more attributed to not having LeBron James or Anthony Davis, which of course is expected. You're not going to play well when you're missing two of the best, two of the fucking eight best players in the NBA. Totally understand that. But, but it's because of that, that LaMarcus Aldridge was like, you know what? I think that going to Brooklyn is the, makes the most sense for me. Now, I'm not saying to go out and get angry with LaMarcus Aldridge for making his decision because I feel that's fucking stupid, right? If you're working a job and let's say you're a software engineer, right? And you're working at, you know, some mid-sized company, a startup, and you're making 80 grand, right? And then you have the opportunity. Like, you, let's say you've been doing this for a while, right? You know, you, you know what the fuck you're doing. You know your way around C++ or however the fuck software developers, whatever language they use. I'm not too smart in this sense. But then let's say you have the opportunity to go to Apple and be a senior software engineer and work on the new iPhone or like work on the fucking electric car, the software for the electric car that Apple is going to design. Would you not take that position because it's better for you? That might have been the worst fucking analogy ever because I don't think they correlate. So actually forget everything that I said. We're just going to keep it to sports. So LaMarcus Aldridge wants to compete for a title. And he's willing to take the minimum to go here. There's no guarantee that he's going to play because there's DeAndre Jordan, who I've said it many times, not the best center in the world, but does play some quality minutes sometimes. And then there's Nick Claxton, who God help Steve Nash. If LaMarcus Aldridge starts taking Nick Claxton's minutes, there will be a fucking riot on Atlantic Avenue. There will be a riot. I can already foresee it. And then we have Blake Griffin, who... Still trying to get his sea legs under him. Has played in a couple games and, you know, I will give him credit. Monday night, he did have a very fucking nice pass to Tyler Johnson against the Timberwolves. You know, decent game overall. I think he had like 10 points and 3 assists or something. But the fact of the matter is that I can't foresee. Again, I, can, I, I simply cannot understand any situation where LaMarcus Aldridge and Blake Griffin are going to make or break anything about the NBA. And it's very clear that this Nets team, despite them adding the god LaMarcus Aldridge, still has a ton of issues. They almost lost to the fucking Minnesota Timberwolves on Monday night. Kyrie was playing. 
and James Harden was playing. It was not a good game. They got off to a hot start and they just fell apart. And I think it was because like they were just getting out hustled. There's no other way around it. The Timberwolves don't have more talent than them. There's, they don't have more skill. They have Carl Anthony Towns, who's a fantastic player and had like 30, 32 points or something like that. But D'Angelo Russell wasn't there for the Timberwolves. I don't think Anthony Edwards was that great either. They just got out hustled. They were getting creamed on the offensive glass, just super careless with the basketball. And it's, a, it's actually a miracle that they managed to win that game. But a win is a win is a win, right? Of course, Kevin Durant has to come back. But when you really think about it, when it comes time to the postseason, the Nets rotation is going to be really three main guys. KD, Kyrie, James Harden. Joe Harris also has a spot in the four. And the fifth, it really depends on the matchups. It can be DeAndre Jordan. It can be Nick Claxton. It can be Bruce Brown. It can be Jeff Green. And all how many four? I think I was four guys I said. Those four guys are also going to be a part of the regular rotation. So the Nets have eight guys. They can go eight deep on any given night. And in the postseason, you're really sticking with your best seven or eight guys, and you're calling it a day. You know, those other guys might have to play more minutes because I don't know what I don't know what the management is going to be with Kevin Durant's minutes when the playoffs come. I mean, he's been out for more than a month now. And uh, we, we got to see. We, we got to see. There's no way to really know. But the only time that I can see Blake Griffin and LaMarcus Aldridge seeing a surplus of playing time, especially LaMarcus Aldridge, because he still has to, if he is going to get in the spot in the rotation, he still has to fight for it. And I just... I. I don't know, bro. I'm not very optimistic about LaMarcus Aldridge being an impactful player on this team. There are some things that he can do. Like, he's not entirely washed. I don't want to make it seem like he's the fucking 399th best player in the NBA. But from what he was back in Portland in his early days in San Antonio to what he is now, there is a considerable drop-off. I think he's only averaging like 13.5 points and four or five rebounds or something, not the same player. He can give you a bucket in the low post and he might be able to grab a couple of rebounds. But again, if you were looking for somebody like that, Andre Drummond was the way to go. Of course, that would have probably been an even greater shitstorm because Andre Drummond is a significantly more talented player and I'm going to keep it a whole stack. I have no issue with him going the Lakers because guess what the Lakers are looking at the NBA and they're like okay when healthy we are the best team in the Western Conference there is no denying that I know the Jazz are above them I know the Suns I think the Suns are above them as well and I think the Clippers are that third team in front of the Lakers and all three of those teams are fantastic I raved about the Utah Jazz a couple weeks ago I think Monty Williams deserves to be the coach of the year and the Clippers are just doing Clipper things. Kawhi Leonard is great. Paul George is great. Although, I don't know, like, that whole Lou Williams trade, I don't know how that's going to work for them. But we'll see. We'll see. We have to play the waiting game at this point. But you cannot look at this Lakers roster and tell me that adding Andre Drummond to it does not make them even deeper and does not make them even better. I'm fully anticipating a Nets-Lakers finals and... I got to be honest, man. I don't know who is going to match up with Andre Drummond in that series. It's going to be very, very dangerous. The only saving grace is that I do not see an instance where Anthony Davis and Andre Drummond are on the court at the same time, which I think is the best. It's, that is the best case scenario. But the Lakers looked at the current landscape of the NBA and they were like, okay, the Nets are improving. They're trying to fill their holes. We, it's in our best interest to try, to try to do the same thing. And they went out and they did it. Like there's nothing wrong 
with a team actively trying to get better. And there's nothing wrong with a player who wants to go to a team that he feels is best suited for him. And, you know, people can be mad about it. I totally, you know, I don't necessarily agree with their anger, but I understand they're entitled to their opinion. And I'm more than happy to, you know, sit down and have a face-to-face conversation about some stuff like this. But um, I think what really kind of just gets me the most is that, like, people haven't even been funny about it. Like, there have been very few quality memes about the Nets super team. Although, all of, like, the media outlets are did this fucking thing where it was like, oh my god, look at this Nets potential lineup with, like, the scream emoji where it's just, like, the blue forehead and the white eyes with the hands on the cheeks, like, ah, imitating that fucking screen painting. Like, look at this Nets potential starting five. Ah, and it's fucking KD, Kyrie, James Harden, LaMarcus Aldridge, and Blake Griffin. There is no fucking way the Nets ever run that lineup, bro. There is a literal 0% chance that that happens. If I ever see that, if that five-man lineup ever fucking makes its way onto the court, I might fucking scream. If you're listening to this in any other state, you will faintly be able to hear my screams reverberating throughout the country. Like Blake Griffin and LaMarcus Aldridge over fucking literally anybody else on the roster. It's just, bro, like, did Joe Harris fucking die? Did Bruce Brown, like, quit basketball in the middle of the season? Fucking Nick Claxton, did y'all forget about him existing? That was, like, the wildest part to me. Everyone who was upset about the Nets are in the league, whatever, you know, I, I, I can deal with that. But to fucking blatantly disrespect everybody else on the Nets roster, it's like, bro, what are we doing here? Who is this benefiting? Fucking nobody. Like, the audacity. The fucking audacity. But then again, you know, they're just playing. They're just playing the social media game. I mean, I do respect the hustle. You know, listen, social media engagement is huge for so many companies. And, you know, even a bad comment is still a comment. It still helps the algorithm. So, you know, people are just playing the game. But overall, like, the, the whole shit about the Nets ruining the league over LaMarcus Aldridge was blown way out of proportion. Like. Guys, it's really not that big of a deal. He might play 10 minutes a night. If that. If that. Like, I'm hoping that Sean Marks, you know, called up LaMarcus and he's like, you know, I'm not the coach, but it's very hard for me to see you playing any meaningful minutes. And I'm sure he was like, okay, that's cool. Because, like, let's look at LaMarcus Aldridge's career, right? This dude is... 30, he's 35 years old. He'll be 36 in July. He's been in the league for a long fucking time. Came in 2006. So he's at like 15 seasons, I believe. That's a pretty, pretty healthy career. You know, six-time All-Star. No, seven-time All-Star. Seven-time All-Star was even like before last season. It's pretty good. Pretty good. 19.7 half assists. I'm sure he's averaging like Similar minutes per 36. Yeah, he is. 19 and 6. But like, realistically, he's not going to replicate that. And, you know, I'm sure he got that call from Sean Marks and he's like really not even expecting to play that much because, I mean, he might be calling it a career in a little bit, like 15 years. I mean, he has had some injury struggles in the past, but like, I this, again, the LaMarcus Aldridge, who back in 2014 averaged 23 and 11, he's not going to be there. Like, I would be genuinely shocked. And even if that is the case, he's a 35-year-old center who, at some point, if he were to play meaningful minutes, is going to have to match up against Joel Embiid or Giannis. That pause right there. Just process having to watch LaMarcus 
Aldridge guard the best center in the league and then also, you know, an MVP candidate. He would get washed. He would get washed. Washed, I'm telling you. He would be washed so fucking, so fucking hard. You know how when you put too much detergent in the washing machine and you'd have like a small load, like it's five pairs of underwear and like three shirts, eight items in total, and you fill it beyond like the max and the cycle just keeps spinning and spinning and spinning and it'll say five minutes left in the cycle for like 15 minutes just because the clothes are so fucking wet and soapy and damp. That would be LaMarcus Aldridge trying to guard one of those guys. That, that is how I feel that situation would play out. And I don't think I'm that far off from the truth. So I guess to wrap up this whole segment, because I've been talking about it for like 25 minutes now, LaMarcus Aldridge, Blake Griffin, the net signing them, not really a big deal. They're doing the best they can. And again, I understand why people are upset about this. I just think it's um kind of weird timing but then again like you guys can have your opinion i really don't fucking care because like this has i'm just so fucking excited that people are talking about the nets because for the last however fucking long it's always been oh the nets are the little brother to the knicks and i totally get that the knicks even at their worst were more relevant than the Nets were. Granted, I don't know how I feel about the majority of your coverage being bad. Like, I think I'd rather no coverage than bad coverage, especially because, like, everybody knows that the Brooklyn Nets exist. It's like, they're a, fuck, they're a fucking professional sports team. People know about them. Okay? It's not like you're an up-and-coming musician or a content creator, and it's like, that's when it's like, okay, bad, publis- bad pu- publicity is still publicity. No, everyone knows the fucking sports franchises, okay? Even people who don't follow the sport know NBA franchises, especially if they live in New York. Like, I know a fair amount of hockey franchises. I don't follow fucking hockey. I know about the Rangers and the Islanders and even the fucking Buffalo Sabres. Like, people know about sports teams right but now it pretty much went from nobody talking about the Nets to everybody shitting on the Nets in like five years and I could not be happier about it because like I'd rather be as a sports fan I would rather my favorite team be villainous as opposed to the laughing stock of the NBA, which again, the Nets not too long ago were the laughing stock of the league. And fortunately, they didn't turn into a Sacramento Kings or a Phoenix Suns up until like two years ago, where it's just like year after year, you're getting your dick pushed in and people are just consistently shitting on you i mean it was even the same with the knicks right the knicks were always getting shit on and now guess what the knicks are good no one's shitting on them because guess what you fucking can't as much as i would love to let these jokes fly about the new york knicks i can't because they're the fucking fourth best team in the eastern conference somehow julius randall was a fucking all-star this year julius randall an all-star like, shout out to him. I feel he entirely deserves that. But again, just like the swiftness with how things have turned around. And, you know, the Nets are dealing with the same thing, just on a much greater scale. And it doesn't really, it doesn't really make me feel any type of way because, you know, as long as they win a title, I'm going to be drunk at the parade in Brooklyn, in my fucking Nets gear, in the middle of the summer, sweating. Maybe, hopefully, Joe Harris throws some fucking champagne on me, and y'all are going to be on Twitter talking about how the title is illegitimate. Guess what, bitch? The title still stands, and the banner will still be raised. And if they don't win a title, I will take the lumps that come with being the fan of a team who 
stacked the deck and was unable to win. And that is the risk I'm willing to take. And with that, I am done talking about this team. I've never talked about LaMarcus Aldridge this much in my life. And I hope that he is just at the very least just a neutral asset for the team. He doesn't have to be the fucking best center in the history of the league. He just can't be a detriment to the team. And I would love nothing more than that. Now, is there anything else going up again? Is there really? Oh, and this was another thing I didn't talk about, but um, Blake Griffin was talking to Brian Lewis of the New York Post, and he was kind of just really dismayed about like all the hate he was getting. He said, quote, all I heard for two years was how bad I am, which, you know, does make a lot of sense because people were shitting on Blake Griffin and people are still shitting on Blake Griffin. And yeah, it just really shows like every man, I'm going to say this and this isn't some like super profound thought. This is just really a pretty obvious observation. Like sports fans are the most fickle people on the planet. And I know this because I'm a sports fan and I tend to be very fickle. People can wake up one day and be happy that their favorite sport exists and, you know, have a shrine for James Naismith in their house. And then like literally six hours later, just be like, you know what, man, fuck this. I'm going to go take up pottery or something because, you know, sports is too hard. It's like, it really is self-inflicted torture watching sports because your team is either going to win or they're going to lose. and neither is guaranteed, right? Like, you could be a fucking Timberwolves fan, and they lost to the Nets by five points yesterday. Five, or on Monday, since this is going up on Wednesday. Like, who, who expected that? And, you know, although it's a loss, having been a part of bad basketball teams myself in the past, there are some losses where, you know, you go up against a good team. Like, there was this one team that, um, that played in our conference when I was in high school. And should I say the name of the school? I'm just going to go ahead and say it anyway. So the high school name was Lawrence High School. And it was this town on Long Island that is, I want to say it's like on the border of Nassau County and Queens. Anyway, we were matched up together because both of our schools were considered small schools, right? I think my graduating class had like 200 kids in it, 225 kids. The school in itself had less than 1,000. I would suffice to say probably less than 800. It was a relatively small school. And, you know, this fucking team, this Lawrence, this team from Lawrence, every year we played them, was so fucking good. And yes, we were bad, but they had this one kid. All right, this kid, uh, his name was Dwayne. He was the most talented player I had ever played against, right? He was, you know, not the biggest guy, about probably like 5'8", five, 5'9", five, super strong, crazy athletic, and just in abundance of talent. Like, this kid had D1 talent, and I think he almost went D1, like to a mid-major, probably somewhere local, like Iona, or he probably could have played for Hofstra, he was that he was that good. And, you know, the team overall was very strong. And we never beat them. Most of the times we got beat up by 30, 35. Yeah, it was fucking it was a bloodbath. Because again, the team was just so fucking so fucking good. And you know, sometimes I'm pretty sure there was like one day where we lost by like 15 or something. And, you know, that's one of those games where you just look at it and you're like, yeah, you know, technically we took the loss, but we played well. And sometimes your best is not good enough. And that is one of the few times a loss can be considered a win. And that was what I got watching the Nets play the Timberwolves on Monday was, you know, that's a loss for Minnesota, but also a pretty big W because, you know, Cat played well. And just like the energy from Minnesota, that's how I wish the Nets played sometimes. Like, because, oh God, it's so fucking weird. Like, I guess I never realized this because the Nets were never good enough to like play down to the competition, but the Nets really do play down to their competition. 
I don't know what it is. I don't know what happens. But this team just, they go up against a bad team. And it's like the talent just fucking vacates. It's like they do a little ritual beforehand. beforehand and they're like, okay. They go to the fucking basketball gods. And they're like, we're going to give away 50% of our talent for this game. And then they go up against the Bucks, the Lakers, and the Sixers, and they shit on them. And then they play the fucking, you know, Detroit Pistons and barely skate by. And then they play the Timberwolves and barely skate by. It is the fucking weirdest dichotomy with this team. And I guess that's like par for the course with contenders. I feel like all of them, you know, they, they say never take days off. But listen, I can understand if you're one of the best players in the league and you go up against a team and you're like, okay, I can kind of coast this game. Like, I'm not saying they should do it, but I'm saying that clearly, clearly it happens. And, you know, as long as they don't coast during the playoffs, I guess there's really no reason to be like crazy upset with it. Yeah, of course it sucks, but like, I don't know. As long as it's not hoping when when it matters, then, you know, whatever. And I think with that, this fucking long-winded-ass episode, I think I'm going to call it. Did a lot of Nets talk today. Um, really, because that was, that was the fucking most of my feed the other day. It was just monopolized by the signing of league-ruining LaMarcus. And it was, you know, I kind of just had to get my fucking thoughts might just get my thoughts out with it. And like we're about, we're at about an hour right now, 51 minutes coming up on 52. Um, yeah, I guess, I guess I'm going to call it here as always. Thank you guys so, so much for listening. If this is your first time, welcome. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. All of the ways to support the show are going to be linked down in the description. And of course, however you do choose to support the show, whether it's telling a friend, whether it's listening to it, leaving a review, following me or the show on any social media platform. I'm super grateful for it and I will catch you guys next week.